This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Ingress, number one in its field. You only need to watch Gulban trainer Danny Williams at work to realise that he's the consummate horseman from his steel-tipped work boots to his broad-brimmed hat. Danny is the son of Harry Williams, who was a highly regarded jockey in the New South Wales Western Districts in the 60s and 70s before becoming a successful trainer. Danny had a very productive 15 years as an amateur jockey, booting home 500 winners, some of them on crude and dusty tracks in the outback. In 1994, he shed a lot of weight to enter the professional riding ranks and rode close to 100 winners in just over four years. He quit the saddle to become private trainer for Alan Cardi, a former Wallaby and notable wing three-quarter for Eastern Suburbs Rugby League team. After a successful 15 years with Alan Cardi, Danny Williams moved into the public arena at Gulban and the winners have continued to flow. And I'm delighted to welcome Dan to the podcast. Danny, thanks for making time. Good morning, John. Well, first question. Let's clear this up right from scratch. Is it true that when you were very young, you were frightened of horses? Oh, definitely, John. I I, I was more into motorbikes and chasing girls than horses. (laughs) But you were dead set scared of them. Oh, look, I, I was petrified. I remember Dad uh, having knee hobbles on a horse, put me on, on top of the horse, and I couldn't wait to get off it. <laughs> <laughs> now, another boyhood story I'd like you uh, to deny or confirm, you'd go to the race meetings with your dad when he was riding, and you'd spend the day with three mates. One of them was Neil Payne, another was Neil Williams, and the third was a son of the very good bush jockey Garth Baird from that era. Now, I believe you were th- little mischief makers, you lot. We were rogues, uh, John. We, 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 I think we had everyone petrified of coming to the races uh, <laughs> for our ethics. Yeah, it was that bad. Oh, look, I can remember one day there, uh, one of the memories, um, I climbed... Um, up to the top stairs of the uh, of the members stand at Goal at uh, Canamble, and uh, back then it was a two story uh, uh, building, um, mm. elaborate type of building. But um, uh, one of our uh, things that we enjoyed doing was filling uh, cups or, or bottles up with water and and spilling the water on top of the patrons when they walked from under the door. But <laughs> I think this particular day, uh, Cecil Armitage, I think his name was was the steward mm. and uh, I don't think he, he had much hair on his head and, and um, this particular day everyone wore hats back then yes. uh, and uh, took umbrellas and so forth but uh, this particular day we'd filled a, a bottle of water up and the story goes that um, Cecil Armitage uh, walked from under the uh, steward's room and I let the bottle go. I didn't know who it was and uh, <laughs> it, it hit him in the head and almost knocked him out and he barred me from being in the members area. So yeah. uh, that was just one of the uh, antics we got up to and I remember another time we, uh, the Red Cross used to bring the, uh, the meals in for the jockeys and, and back then everyone was hungry and starving and so forth. <laughs> so they'd all rush to the Red Cross table to uh, get a, a cup of tea and a scone. And yeah. in the meantime, I think it was Garfy Baird's son and myself 
went around and stole all the jockeys' whips while they were out uh, mm. having a, a feed. And when they were called out to the next race, no one had any whips. So, <laughs> And your dad would have no knowledge of this. He'd be stuck in the jockeys' room. Oh, more than likely. I'm not <laughs> – more than likely. Your family became very friendly with Betty Lane and her late husband, Tiger Holland. In fact, Tiger later became your godfather and he was a tutor as you were growing up. Yes, he was, John. I uh, remember visiting Tiger and Betty when I was young during school holidays um, and, you know, Tiger being such a, a larrikin and a tough man at the same time, the old school type um, horseman that he was, he mm. kept me in... in in gear, and uh, no, I, I learned a lot from Betty and Tiger, and uh, um, you know, I still cherish those days and memories. Um, um, Tiger and Dad were very close friends. But, uh, Betty and Tiger were based at that little town called Geary back in that era. Yeah, t- uh, look, uh, I, my memories mainly extend from uh, from Randwick when they were at Randwick, but I remember mm. they, they lived up on top of the hill at, at Geary. Mm. I visited their property a few times. Back then, I think um, Tiger also did the uh, photos for uh, the winners, and uh, back in those days, they used to touch the photos up with a bit of painting, so they were mm. pretty uh, articulated and, uh, and skilled in their art. Mm. Uh, so he was a, a, a um, jack of all trades type he of He'd even called an odd race, Danny, as you'd be aware. Uh, he yes. became a very good trainer later in life, and he rode plenty of winners as a bush jockey. He did at that. Very, very, a very good horseman. Both uh, Betty and Tiger. They were very good at two-year-olds as well. I remember a horse called Smoky Jack that they had ran second in the slipper, and uh, yeah, some very good horses. Your mother, Helen, took out a trainer's licence at one stage. Was was that around the time you began your career as an amateur jockey? No, a little bit before then, John. I, I, I think that um, Dad was riding um, for Johnny London, or well, started riding for Johnny London mm. and, uh, in Canamble and uh, went out on his own and was freelancing. And uh, back then, I think Dad always had um, the view that he'd like to train and uh, because he was a jockey, he was unable to um, have the trainer's licence and, and, and mum and dad were training the horses at that time while, uh, uh, while we were in Canamble. It, I think it was a little bit after that that I started um, riding as an amateur rider. Mm. Danny, amateur race meetings are not as plentiful as the professional race meetings, so the picnic jockeys have got to travel long distances and you'd often get requests to ride in faraway places. John, you, some of the uh, the tracks were very interesting where we went as well. Um, places like Ainsley and uh, uh, in Queensland, I, I think it was around about four hours, three or four hours, maybe a bit more from Cairns out west. Um, yeah, certainly uh, some of those bush tracks come by chance and others are unique. Uh, we used to travel from... Uh, the uh, Victorian border as far up as Charters Towers and those places up there. So we've done some mm. quite a bit of uh, travelling to uh, to get to those meetings. Roma, 
is another, mm. uh, and so on and so on. Yep. Now, you mentioned Ainsley. Ainsley is a tiny little dot on the map. It's about 450 kilometres southwest of Cairns. And you once went to a two-day meeting up there for grass-fed horses only. Now, the 2016 census, by the way, gave Ainsley a population of 92. But for the race meeting, it swelled enormously, didn't it? They came from everywhere. John, they're, they're great meetings. They uh, used to go out, uh, that particular meeting, I think every horse had to go to the paddock for two months. It was quite unique. Um, there was a drought, pretty bad drought on at the time, and they only had two properties to pick from, I think one being the common. And um, horses only had seven days to prepare for a meeting. It was quite unique for me. It was the first time I'd, I'd been out there. Um, the train only visits there once a week uh, <laughs> to deliver the, the paper and bread. Um, so it, it's quite isolated, but, uh, as you said, the, uh, all the patrons come off the properties and really have a great time. You spend a whole week out there, uh, you ride a bit of work and, uh, I think the minimum 66 kilograms. So it was always, uh, quite good. You'd, you'd go out and, um, um, eat as much as you wanted to and, uh, have, have a bit of fun. And then you'd have a, a race meeting on the Friday and the, Saturday it was quite unique. Mm. Some of the horses, I remember one of them, a uh, horse that uh, had only been through the barriers once in its whole life, and that was the year before. Yeah. Uh, they, they bought it as a race horse and used it as a stock horse throughout the year, uh, put it in, in, in training a week before, and, uh, and uh, away we went. And uh, the first day that I rode it, it, it missed the start, had no idea how to jump out. And uh, ran a nice, uh, nice race, being beaten three or four lengths. Mm. And the next day, uh, with a, a bit of barrier practice, it uh, it missed it by half. And and uh, I drove it out, and, and it was fortunate to win. But uh, yeah, they unique sort of uh, race days that uh, people uh, these days uh, wouldn't wouldn't even uh, think exist. But uh, they're. Uh, they're uh, quite unique to those outback uh, prop, uh, meetings and um, they uh, attract a huge crowd and um, a huge following. Amateur jockeys aren't required to do an apprenticeship. You just get a licence and make yourself available. Put your hand up. Pretty much so. Uh, when I was uh, starting off riding, uh, John, I, I was pretty keen um, after uh, a timid start, as, as we've spoken about. I think uh, within two months of starting riding track work, I was pretty much ready, uh, wanting to ride in races. I was 14 at the time, and I said to Dad, look, I, I, I'd i love to ride, and uh, there's a, a meeting coming up at uh, Tullamore. Mm. And um, so uh, the steward back then, uh, Pat Hennessy, um, we rang him and uh, said, look, Pat, uh, Denny wants to ride. And uh, said, well, we'll look uh, at a, at a uh, race meeting. He can have a gallop up the straight. You only had to, to gallop a horse 200 metres and, and they could see whether you could ride or not and away you went uh, pretty much. And uh, that particular year, I was fortunate that Dad had two horses for me. 
and uh, one of them had been out of work for a couple of weeks. Uh, we basically sacked it, and uh, Dad said, well, we'll put it back into work, and you can ride that one. Hmm. So uh, I remember putting my age up a year <laughs> and um, uh, telling Pat that I was 15, and uh, unfortunately we couldn't make it to the races, so I got my licence over the phone <laughs> pretty much. Um, yeah. Dad's, Pat said, can he ride? And Dad said, oh, yeah, bloody oath he can ride. So <laughs> um, so I remember going to Tullamore uh, picnics and uh, Michael Nestor had his first ride the same day. Mm. And uh, uh, the first ride I ever had, I think I missed the start by three lengths. I, yeah. I think I uh, almost hit a tree on the outside running rail. <laughs> and... Uh, and got beat, uh, uh, I think it was a short half head, and the jockey next mm. to me, uh, who I won't name, got six months for giving it a run. So <laughs> I still got beat. You still got beaten. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, if there so. happens to be a jockey shortage at a professional race meeting in the bush, an amateur can occasionally pick up a ride, and I'm sure that happened to you. Look, many times back then they used to um, – uh, early early days, they used to have what they call pro-am meetings where jockeys and, and amateurs used to ride together. And uh, later on, when I started riding, that had phased out. However, they still allowed amateur riders to ride if there was a shortage of jockeys. And fortunately enough for me, I was light enough at the time and uh, was able to pick a few rides up. And I remember on one occasion, uh, a meeting at Mindoran. Um, I, I picked uh, two or three rides up, mm. and uh, I re- remember uh, Ron Duffersy riding out there at the time. I think mm. Ron had been invited by a, uh, a gentleman to go out and ride a few horses for him, and uh, uh, it was my first meeting with Ron. Towards the end of your amateur riding career, you rode over the two days of the famous Cairns Amateurs. Uh, Dan, they are still uh, possibly the most acknowledged and the most famous of all the amateur race meetings around Australia. It's nowadays a professional meeting, but they still call them the Cairns Amateurs. They're run in September. Now, there were 13 races over two days, and you'll be too modest to tell me, so I'm telling you, you won eight of the 13. You can be very proud of that one. Yeah, John, it was my last uh, last experience at Cairns. We used to love going to Cairns, and it was a big thrill for us. I think the amateurs were regarded as the second biggest meeting in Queensland behind the Stradbroke at the time. Mm. Not so much in prize money, but uh, a social events. And, uh, yeah, look, it, uh, it, it was a great uh, thrill for me. I, I won the cup that day, and I think it was my third cup up there. And um, mm. It was a big thrill for me um, riding. Uh, I think I rode five on the first day and three on the second. So, yeah. and also had a fall on the same day. Yeah, a harmless one. Yes. yes. In 1994, you made the decision to turn pro. How much weight did you have to lose to make the transition? Well, John, I was struggling to ride 60 and a half, 61 at the amateurs. I used to walk around about 63 or 64 kilograms. And I thought I was at an age when I was about 28 to go professional. And and I felt that my body was 
more stable and able to do that. So I was riding around about 54 and a half, 55 kilograms. So it was quite, um, there's not much of me. I'm quite a, a narrow, uh, thin sort of guy. Mm. So there wasn't much to lose. So it was primarily starvation and, mm. and sweating that allowed me to ride. But I used to mm. lose anywhere between, I guess, um, six and eight, sometimes oh. 10 kilograms to, to ride each, each time I had to ride. To say you started with a bang is an understatement. You rode a flurry of winners, Dan, as a pro. Your very first meeting was at Canamble and you won five races straight, opening day. Well, John, no, it wasn't quite right. I rode a, a double that day, but I, my first five rides were all winners. Oh, I see what you mean, yep. And, and um, yeah, look, I, I came on the scene with a bang. I was, I'm a very competitive person and I, I, you know, always had an amateur tag um, to my name mm. and I wanted to prove that wrong and, and uh, so I was very, very, very passionate about trying to succeed early. Mm. And uh, as I said, I'm a very competitive person. I vividly recall your first ride in town. I think it was your first. It was certainly one of your early ones as a professional yeah. jockey. It was a midweek race at Canterbury. And I remember thinking, I'll have a good look at this bloke, D. Williams. There's a bit of a rap on him. You looked very good on that horse, Danny. You were still in front one stride from home and you were nosed out by a well-known jockey. Yeah, <laughs> funny enough, John, I, I I'd, um, was on my honeymoon at the time and I'd, uh, I hadn't rode work for oh, two or three weeks and uh, I was staying at the Gold Coast at the time and uh, I, I, my, my weight... Uh, spread out to I think about 62 kilograms and I had to mm. ride at Canterbury and um, I remember flying down to Sydney and um, I think I was still I think I was still around about 59 mm. on the way to the races and I can remember being in the in the, in the sauna uh, with one race to go and still a kilogram to lose before that race mm. and uh, I uh, yeah remember the horse was was a very sort of uh, difficult horse to ride because you had to actually sit there as quiet as a mouse on him. As soon as you gave him his head, his his legs would go everywhere. And <laughs> I thought I was home, and I I I just gave him one tap just before the winning post, and I think it got him beat because yeah. um, Corey Brown got up and beat me right on the on the post. We were bought, beaten, I think, a short half head, and. Um, mm. Um, yeah, it was a uh, big thrill to be riding in Sydney. There was another occasion where you rode five winners at a Dubbo meeting, a big meeting. The Silver Goblet was the main race. The following day you turned up at Ningen and won another three, eight winners in 24 hours. Yeah, John, look, I think the first three months I rode 48 winners and uh, – that particular day at Dubbo, uh, we had the likes of Michael Carl and Billy Aspros there, and it was a Silver Goblet meeting. And mm. I think I rode fifty-four and a half on the on the Friday, and uh, 
the next day I ended up turning up at uh, Ningen. I think I was 48 kilograms on the scales. Um, <laughs> and I think I had three rides that day and they all won. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, my body basically let me down the following week and I came down pretty heavily with the flu and I battled to ride the um, to diet that, that week and I was mm. uh, offered a few rides at a place called Galar Gumbone mm. um, the following week and uh, ended up taking two rides. I think one was 55 kilograms and the other one was 57 and um, I couldn't. I couldn't get the weight off. I remember going to the races. And I, I, I think I was still 61 kilograms, and I got to the races, and I approached the stewards, Craig Yo, and I said, look, Craig, I think I'm going to be two and a half over on the first one. Mm-hmm. So he took me off that one, but un- unknown to him, I think I was more like 60 and a half, <laughs> and uh, somehow got got uh, weighed out and uh, rode the winner of the uh, Galagin Main Cup, and I think I weighed back in about two and a half, three kilograms heavy. And, um, um, you know, consequently, I uh, I was given, a, I think, a six-week suspension after that. So. Yeah, and you had to cop it sweet. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. I did. Dan gets you to stand by there for a moment whilst we clear a commitment on the podcast. Back in a moment. The 2019 English-Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, four mares sold for a million or more two of them selling for two million or more and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mare Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au. My special guest is former amateur jockey, former professional jockey, and now a very successful horse trainer, Danny Williams. Dan, you struggled terribly with weight right through your four and a half years as a professional jockey, but I think you're the first to admit you were a silly waster, as a lot of jockeys are. You gave the fluid pills a nudge too. John, it's it's a terrible life. It's you know, as for, as as much as it's a something that I love doing, and I would do it today again. I love riding; it's my passion. Um, you know, I I, I far um, like the riding far better than than the training or, or whatever I've done in life. I've been a very competitive person throughout my whole life, and and riding was something that I really had a passion for. I still ride work today, but mm. the dieting, a lot of people don't realise that the demons that jockeys face, I, I think that 
most jockeys suffer from some sort of depression. It's a very um, high-profile job, but with that comes um, a lot of um, strain behind the scenes of losing weight, as most jockeys do, mm. and uh, rarely do they have much of a social life or do they, uh, you know, um, uh, they, they, they always have a, a, a demon to fight and that's the weight. And uh, in my case, it was uh, losing weight with fluid tablets and, and in saunas. And uh, I, I'm most probably paying for that now. But, uh, um, you know, most, most things have changed now. Things have got a lot more professional. I think uh, a lot of jockeys have either got um, trainers or, or um, uh, people that um, look after their weight and their fitness. Um, and I, I wish I'd had something like that when I was much younger. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely definitely a, a very tough game. You haven't been devoid of injury. You had a horrifying experience one Sunday morning in track work at Dubbo. Now, Greg Ryan couldn't get there on a Sunday morning to gallop a couple of horses for a trainer friend, and he got you to fill in with disastrous results. Yeah, John, I... Uh, uh, as our conversation earlier, um, towards uh, Dubbo, when I won um, a few races at Dubbo on the Friday and three winners on the uh, on the Saturday at uh, at Ningen, my my weight dropped dramatically, and my body basically um, shut down, and um, I my my immune system shut down on me, and I I got very sick, and after Glagenbone, I uh, uh, rode a bit of track work for for Greg Ryan as a favour, and um, I rode a gallop, and I went past the winning post, and 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 felt my my um, back sharp pain in my back, mm. and uh, immediately after that, I, I I couldn't pull the horse up, and um, mm. when I did eventually, um, I was in such pain that I I was laying down on the horse's back, riding it back to the horse stalls mm. and uh the trainer said oh if, could you ride this other one and i said oh look i've hurt myself and as i've dismounted off the horse i basically collapsed and uh i wasn't in a good way and 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 the trainer um pleaded with me if i if i could ride his other one so i couldn't get back on the horse let alone stand up so i ended up having two people pick me back up put me on top of the horse and i I laid on the horse and, 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 and galloped the horse mm. laying on top of it. And uh, when I arrived back, uh, I, uh, I had them to carry me to the car where I drove myself to hospital. And as it turns out, um, uh, I'd um, separate the vertebrae in my back mm. and uh, I bled internally. I was uh, in a pretty average way. I... I, I um, I basically uh, was bedridden for at least a month after that. Uh, I bled internally. I, I mm. uh, wasn't able to ride for nearly three months. Yeah, I can't and, believe you uh, made a comeback, but you did, and your first two rides back won. So you were off again. I was, John. I, I think the second meeting back was uh, was a Birdsville meeting, mm. and uh, um, uh, after that stage I, I, I struggled to ride 
um, 57 or 58, but I remember taking a ride at 54 and a half at my second meeting back and mm. and uh, ended up riding the Birdsville Cup winner. We said uh, you started with a bang as a professional jockey and you certainly went out with a bang. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Dan. I think your last seven rides as a professional jockey won. Last seven straight. Yeah, that that's right, John. I think it was my last eight rides, I think, seven or eight mm. rides. Um, I remember riding um, at a Louth meeting was my last meeting that I, I had as a professional and uh, um, I gave it away uh, as I was uh, offered a job as a trainer here at Goulburn and uh, struggling with the weight at the time. I just felt that uh, my body just couldn't uh, – sustain the the weight loss to continue riding as much as i loved it um i had to uh had to uh, give up the saddle and uh look at uh, alternative means of income i mentioned in the introduction that a man called alan cardy made you an offer to become his private trainer at Goulburn uh, on a lovely property with excellent facilities you decided to go ahead with it and you and Alan had a wow of a time for 15 years. You won 22 races in your first year, and uh, there were winners right through the 15 years you spent with Alan. Let's look at some of the really nice horses you got to train for Alan and his friends. Normal practice, uh, Danny, would be right at the top of the list. Uh, winner yes. of eight, seven placings. He won about $300,000. And at his ninth start in a race, he ran in a Group 1 new market and ran third. Yeah, John, he, he was uh, an exceptional horse. Um, he came to me basically second um, second hand. Um, Alan had the horse, uh, basically bred the horse and uh, had him on his property at the time. And I remember um, the uh, Alan... Uh, suggesting that at one stage there they offered normal practice to a gentleman as a as a riding horse, I think mm. for five hundred dollars. Goodness me! And he looked at the horse and said, "No, he, it's too small. It, it it's it's it doesn't look strong enough for me. I'll I'll take the other one that's in the paddock." <laughs> so uh, we got, we got stuck with the horse, fortunately enough. And mm. uh, from the very start, he he was a a very average track working horse. Mm. Uh, not a very big horse, but uh, a very heavy horse with with very average feet, mm. and uh, it it um, cursed the horse throughout his career. Uh, I think he was basically lame for his first six starts. Yeah. To one point that Ray Murray, who issued that I produce a vet certificate and carry that around to say that that was the horse's action. Mm. Uh, for the rest of his life. Yeah, scratchy, just scratchy. Look, John, I, I, I'd say he was a smarter horse than, than I take him because somehow I'm not sure whether he read the papers, but every day before a race that we mm. had him entered, he'd be lame. <laughs> and he, he must have taken 10 years off my life, that horse. I've never mm. seen a horse like him. If he did something remotely different with his preparation, whether it was shampoo him, he thought mm. he was going to the races, he'd be lame the next day. Mm. And uh, he, he was, he was uh, a horse that had uh, very bad underrun feet and uh, to the extent that they were 
uh, curling back in, growing back in towards mm. his heels, and and he continued to have abscesses and and mm. and bad corns throughout his career. Mm. Yep, he was a handful, but very talented. He won two Group Threes, and he ran third to a very good mare called Iska in a new market. I think Dantelar ran second in that one. Now, Dan, Wasted Emotions was a lovely horse. 11 wins, nine in town, almost $480,000. He won a Wagga Town Plate. He won a Hallmark Stakes in Sydney. You'd love a stable full of him. Yeah, John, he, he was a uh, very fast horse. He came to us. I, I basically, uh, he brought Peter Robel to town, that horse, because um, um, we had a bit of an association with Peter around the country. And uh, I offered Peter to come to town to ride that horse at, at his first start. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we pulled off a, a plunge. I think we were um, eights into fours. And uh, he won at Ramwick and beat a horse called Bless Him, mm-hmm. Bart Cummings. And uh, I think that was Peter's first uh, city winner. And not long after that, Peter was offered a, a, a job, a stable rider for Clary Connors in, in Sydney, not mm-hmm. long after that. And, uh, he was a horse that um, uh, perhaps could have been um, a Group 1 horse. He had a bit of an accident in the paddock. He did start favourite in an Oakley plate, and uh, he was a horse with more than uh, his good share of, of ability. Dan, we'll wind down the curtain now on part one of our podcast interview, and we'll be back a little later with part two, in which we highlight some of the other very talented horses to go through your hands in the last few years. Back with Danny Williams shortly. The 2019 English-Australian Broodmare and Weanling Sale and the Chairman's Sale were an overwhelming success. The Chairman's Sale ended with a clearance rate of 92% and an average of over $427,000, a record for a Southern Hemisphere sale. On a memorable evening at Riverside, Four mares sold for a million or more, two of them selling for two million or more, and they were Maastricht Dam of Loving Gabby and dual Group 1 winning mare Srikandi, while a further seven sold for $500,000 or more. Lot 1, a trapeze artist breeding right for next season, made $105,000 for injured jockey Ty Angland, who was present at the sale with his wife Erin. The two days of select and general race fillies and brood mares averaged over $42,000 with a clearance rate of 76%. Select weanlings averaged $36,000 with an 85% clearance. The four-day sale grossed almost $40 million. You'll find the full sales results and information on upcoming sales on inglis.com.au.